Now I really can't see any of you. Um, I have to admit, whenever you guys... Oh, where'd the other one go? Whenever you guys sing that song together, I always get a little emotional and choked up. So, take a few deep breaths. It's like, don't you feel like you're there with the angels? It's like, whew. All right, no, okay, get it together. Let me, uh, let me read the scripture passage. We've, we've already heard it, but let's hear it again. This is the text on which the teaching is based this evening. This is from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. The day of his birth was celebrated in messianic terms. His career was recalled with rapt devotion. He was hailed as the bringer of peace, called the deliverer. He was going to end the bloodshed that had for so long plagued the world. He was called the son of the divine. God himself was his father and his arrival brought good news. He made a promise that he would bestow peace, mercy, justice, freedom to his people. And under his rule, a golden age would dawn and humanity would bask in the luster of his kingdom. His name was Octavian. And when he became emperor of Rome, he was called Caesar and he took uh, for himself the name Augustus, which meant great one, venerable one, honorable one, anointed one. And he ushered in what became known as the Pax Romana, the the peace of Rome. It was an unprecedented period of military peace and justice, of economic prosperity and religious freedom. At least, that's what was supposed to happen. The truth is, actually, Augustus was a a butcher. He was paranoid of opposition. And so he systematically eliminated every hand that was raised up against him. And he instituted a reign of terror in order to keep his power. Human liberties that had been enjoyed under the Roman Republic, they were sacrificed on the altar of the empire. 
Augustus masked his reign of terror by preoccupying citizens with all kinds of distractions. He, he was known for uh, pretty remarkable building programs, and he uh, revived uh, the pagan gods and the temple worship that came, came along with them. And he also introduced uh, games and special holidays that distracted people from what he was really doing. And these were all used to coerce the public, manipulate them into submission. His image was everywhere. It was on buildings, it was on little coins, it was on statues, it was on temples and inside temples. Through coercion and through self-promotion, Augustus ruled the known world with an iron fist. And it turned out that the so-called protector of the people was actually, in reality, their greatest human enemy. It's, it's really an old story, if you think about it. There have been countless rulers down through the centuries who, who promised to be the people's ruler. They would be the people's king or queen. They promised that they would be different. They would be incorruptible, you know. They would be noble. They would be gracious. They would be just. They would serve their subjects. That would be the purpose of their reign. But once they had a taste of power, things changed. Eventually they changed. Power is, is, is like a drug, you know. Once they got this power, all that mattered was keeping it or extending it. And they were willing to do whatever it took to keep it. Scripture tells us that during the time of Caesar Augustus, one of the most powerful men in all of history, another king was born. He was a greater king than any that had come before, and he was a greater king than any that would come after him. He was a king that was truly different. He was a king whose humble beginnings reflected the kind of reign that he would have. In those heady days of Caesar Augustus, a young carpenter and his teenage pregnant fiancée wound their way slowly south from a little village called Nazareth in Galilee to an even smaller village called Bethlehem. It was really only famous to Jews who knew about King David. Nobody else knew anything about it. And no brick highway traced their route through the hills and valleys of Judea. No legionnaire escort accompanied them on their trip. They were just two more faceless names on a census roll. Augustus had called a census of the whole world, everyone in the empire. Why? To assess them for taxes. So that he could maintain his grip on this empire that he enjoyed. And, and so their entrance into Bethlehem was unheralded. No trumpets. No pomp and circumstance. No marble palace awaited them. Just an old barn. Or a cave in a hillside. Or, or the backside of a house that housed farm animals. But in that stable, 
Mary delivered her firstborn, a son. She cut the cord, washed him clean, swaddled him in some clean rags, nursed him, laid him in a feeding trough. And there he lay sleeping, helpless, like any other baby. And yet, a king was born. The king to end all kings. The king of all kings. Prophesied centuries centuries earlier by Isaiah, who said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the government of of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. But when the birth announcement went out, it didn't go to heads of state, it didn't go to royalty, it went to shepherds. On a hillside outside this little village. It was all so humble. Far away from the halls of power in a little podunk village on the outskirts of the mighty Roman Empire. Jesus was born. The son of God. God himself became human the infinite became finite the eternal became temporal the ideal became real veiled in flesh the godhead see hail the incarnate deity the king of kings was born And he was not like Caesar at all, not at all. His kingdom was not built on coercion. It was not built on manipulation. His kingdom was not built on striking terror in the hearts of his enemies or destroying his usurpers. His perfect justice didn't come through an iron fist. It came through a wooden cross. And his peace didn't come through military might but through a sacrificial death. And that teaches us something, friends. Something that the world is still struggling to learn, and it's this. Real power. Real power is found in love. Sacrificial love that wins hearts. 
In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus was speaking about his upcoming death on the cross. And he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You see, by his work, by dying for power-hungry, self-promoting sinners like you and me, Jesus exerted power in his weakness. Even as I describe him right now, in his humility, in his weakness, in his sacrifice, what happens to you? Whether you believe in him or not, aren't you at least drawn to him? Drawn to the strength of his character, drawn to the nobility of his sacrifice. Don't you find your heart melting under the spell of his love? Friends, you're being changed, not coerced. Because real power is not wielded through coercion, but through love. Caesar thought he owned the world. But a few hundred years later, his empire was finished and he was long dead. But the empire of Jesus Christ was still growing. And his his followers had spread throughout the known world. Why? Because he built his empire on love, a divine love for a lost and despairing humanity. Listen to how Napoleon, the great 19th century military leader and emperor, put it. He wrote these words, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions will die for him. All who sincerely believe in him experience that remarkable, supernatural love toward him. This phenomenon is unaccountable. It is altogether beyond the scope of man's creative powers. Time. The great destroyer is powerless to extinguish this sacred flame. Time can neither exhaust its strength or put a limit to its range. This is it which strikes me most. See, the power of love, friends, of Christ's love, has built an empire of justice and peace that will never, ever Be overthrown. As Martin Luther King Jr. put it, the great military leaders of the past are gone and their empires have crumbled and burned to ashes. But the empire of Jesus, built solidly and majestically on the fountain of love, is still growing. This Advent season, I invite you to join his kingdom. Bow the knee to his lordship. Not because you're afraid of him. Not because he's done anything to coerce you. But because on the cross you see that yes, you were and are a desperate sinner. Deserving of God's just punishment. 
But at exactly that same time, at this moment, you are loved beyond your wildest dreams because God himself was willing to take your punishment on himself. Cheer up, friends. You're worse than you think you are. But Jesus knows, and Jesus has died for you. Enter his kingdom today. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world to show us the love of God. You were born a humble king who lived to serve, not to be served, and to give your life as a ransom for many. We stand in awe. There is nothing like you in this world. There is no one like you in this world. Thank you for showing us the way of love. Teach us to live in that way for your glory. And bless us as we make our way home, as we celebrate with friends and family during this Christmas season. Keep us safe in all our travels. And most of all, Keep us close to your heart, O God. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen.